Bienvenidos a la Daily Hustle. Soy Enrique Barnes y presidente es la mejor cerveza. No abate por No Filter Network. Miguelito Sandiaguito. Not with us today. Will the Thrill. Not with us right now, but he will be with us tonight. That's right. Thrill texted me. Last night, he is excited to come back on. He's got all sorts of thoughts about the Dusty Baker hiring by the San Francisco Giants. We will get into that along with all the other MLB hot stove news rumors. And let's not forget the 2024 Major League Baseball Hall of Fame Ballot reveal is going to be, I think, January 24th. So that's just about a week from now. And I think it's actually the 23rd. So we will go over all the Hall of Fame candidates and get Thrill's opinion. But to salute our boys and to kick this week off right on this lovely Tuesday. Let's make sure we go ahead and salute not only the thrill, not only Kowalski, but each and every one of you watching or listening at home or anywhere else you may be. Yes, 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 yes. Woo. Remember this, folks. When we are juiceful, we are useful. And when we are juiceless, we are class all together now. We're fucking useless. Simple as that. All right. Well, let's not forget our title sponsor here. Bet online with NFL playoffs right around the corner. And the NBA in full swing. I mean, the NFL playoffs are in full swing. They just sent me a new script, too. Come on, Les. Bet online has you covered with all the up-to-second odds, news, and scores with the additional odds, lines, trends. In info on both desktop and mobile, you can access the world's best wagering information anywhere at any time. Head there today to get the, let's see here, 50% off welcome bonus. You got to type in Believe, capital B, L E A V, and you will get 50% off your first deposit. Bet online. Where the game starts. Also, don't forget about our proud sponsors at this one. No, this one. KT Tape. If you're watching this on No Filter Network, you're watching on Fubo Caffeine TV, wherever you'll see the QR code in my upper left-hand corner, your upper right-hand corner. Hit the QR code and get yourself taped up the Science behind this is pretty simple. You put the tape on, it lifts the skin, it promotes blood flow to the area, it reduces inflammation, and ultimately alleviates pain. KT Tape, deflaming muscles since its creation. And lastly here, and never least though, we got to get our weed. That's right. Don't worry. We're not getting stupid high here. 
We're just looking to perform optimally at No Filter Network. And so in order to do that, we got a little shot of Verge. This is lemon, honey, and cannabis all rolled into one to give you that nice sustain through the course of the day. I like coming on here and saluting our guy, Jory, over at Verge. (sighs) Refreshing and soothing on the throat. Speaking of Jory, Levi, who plays for our LTP12U squad, and Jesse Maddox went and helped Reed Johnson take down this put-together top national team uh that was pretty cool so good on reed johnson and the boys rj ba baseball coach will and uh the ltp kids had a huge factor in that i followed the championship game in which jesse struck out 10 levi struck out another six for the chipper okay today's Daily Hustle, which was written and sent out this morning, uh, not that long ago. This was a good one. We were in Mammoth ski racing all weekend. So, basically, I mean, every time I go to something like this, like it never ceases to amaze me. It really does it. What or how it's going to turn out. You have expectations, and then your eyes are opened to the fact that everything is constantly evolving. Everything's constantly changing. So here we go. Buenos dias. Today is Tuesday, January 16, 2024. Just got back from a weekend of ski racing in Mammoth for my 13-year-old Callie and Biscuit, who was 12. Daily also quote of the day. Skiing is a battle against yourself, always to the frontiers of impossible. But most of all, it must give you pleasure. It is not an obligation, but a joy. Jean-Claude Killy, triple Olympic gold medalist. Daily Hustle translation. Oftentimes we do certain things with the idea that we are battling others. Yet the truth is that the only person we are battling is ourselves. That said, in order to truly enjoy our experience, we must take a great pleasure in the improvement process while realizing that this is not an obligation, but rather a lifestyle we chose, we choose predicated on experience and growth. When Callie was younger, she was a fantastic ski racer, but over the last few seasons, her seasons, her interest in racing has waned, and she basically has been stuck in the middle of the pack. Her main priority and time allotment in life has been dedicated jumping horses, where she has had all sorts of success while absolutely loving her time at the barn. Add in the fact that her older sister and younger brother have been crushing it on the slopes with consistent top 10 finishes and multiple race wins under their belt. And I was actually highly doubtful that Callie was even going to race this year. Well, apparently I was wrong. Over the course of the past few months, she has completely committed herself to being the best skier she can be by opening her mind to changing technique and then putting in the arduous work to make it happen. She also realized it wasn't worth comparing herself to her siblings for the simple reason we all walk our own paths in our own way and at our own time. 
As a matter of fact, she's somewhat even leaned on her sister and brother for advice. And the results in her first race of the season this past weekend were astonishing. After finishing no higher than 40th last year, I'm not kidding, 40th, Callie finished fifth out of over 100 skiers in her first race of the season. And most importantly, she visually looked like a completely different skier who has seemed to thoroughly enjoy the work and process, which has led to the transformation. Look, I honestly don't care if she or any of our kids decided to move on from ski racing. This shit's expensive and stressful as fuck for a parent. That's it. So long as they decide to continue with racing or any other sport for that matter, the only thing we can ever hope for is that they dedicate themselves to not being the best, but simply being their best while loving the entire process which gets them there. EBPS to pick up a limited edition copy of the brand new Let Them Play book. Click the pick below. Officially, the book will not be released until February, but we have a small batch. We are selling through ericburns.com. Now, I will tell you, they're going fast. They, uh, I know we have a few more left. We would have to get the update from Amanda Panda can of worms uh, this morning on exactly how many. And then after that, you guys are going to have to order off of Amazon. So go ahead and do what you can. Pick up a copy of that book. I actually read through it. RJ, what's up, man? Uh, congrats to the LTP SoCal 14s, by the way. He took down some tourney this weekend. Get on you guys. So anyhow, I'm looking at this here. And it says... As USA Baseball President John C. Gall suggests about the book, this book is a must read for any coach, parent, or player at any level. That's it. All right. So I wouldn't, as far as the book's concerned, we rushed the book out to try to get it done. And we did get it done for the baseball convention. And I wanted to, get it in the right people's hands at the right time. I went back and I noticed there were some things within the book, just some language things. I'm nothing big. The premise of the book, it's all there, like everything. There's a few mistakes with the OG copy, but I think it's also kind of the beauty of the OG copy. So we have, I don't know if it's less than a hundred left or whatever there was. Originally, I think there was like 700. So they've, they've, they're go they're they're going fast, uh, but then understand we will have essentially the same copy that will be available on Amazon and through all I think Barnes and Noble as well. So be on the lookout for that. When it comes to the ski racing for this past weekend, could not have been more proud of the kids. They were up against it in so many ways, including the weather elements. It was. It's snowing with gusts up to 50 miles per hour on the first day. And that was the day actually that Callie got fifth and Biscuit won the hard charger award. He started 77th. Think about this. So when you're starting 70, like 70 plus, or just even the back of the pack like this, and it's snowing, 
the snow's accumulating on the ground, right? And it's it's going to slow you down. And it, they're going to cause ruts, and it's going to make it really, really difficult. So he went from 77th to 11th after his first run. And then in his second run, he won it. The whole fucking thing. The number one ski racer. And he's skiing a year up. He's a first-year U14, so he's skiing against 12- and 13-year-olds. But he's skiing 1,000 pregnancies. He's skiing a year up. And that's why he gets the low start, where the second years who have accumulated points from last season, they have these points, so they're getting much better starts. Well, for him to go out there, make the flip, and then the second run, take that thing down and have the best time, his overall place got all the way up to eighth. And so that's what got him the hard charger award. They do it from where you start to where you end up finishing up. But yeah, it's tough for those first years. It really is. I just see that they have to start towards the very back of the pack and then fight their way uh, into it. So that was on, I think Friday. And then Saturday was a more difficult day. I guess that was Saturday. Yeah. Cause it went Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So that was Saturday when it was snowing. And then Sunday, they both had good first runs. And then basically, actually, you know, <laughs> Biscuit on both of his runs slipped out, was able to salvage a 20th out of it, which is, I mean, he he went down twice, like two different times. One time in his first run, one time in his second run, and then popped back up. One time he had to hike around the thing. Callie ended up straddling a gate. So... She was out on the second day. And then the third day was, was awesome. Biscuit, I think, ended up six. He was six after the first run, which is incredible, too, considering he started about 50th uh, and then ended up finishing six. And then Callie was, I think, 12th yesterday. So just dramatic improvement, though. And that's the only thing is that we can hope for, right, as parents, as coaches, as anybody, is that someone who is willing to put in the work to get better. And then once they put in that work, you really, really hope that they see results. And she's made a commitment to be on the mountain to, you know, not only compete uh, with, I, I say her brother and sister, but it's, it's kind of the whole point of the daily hustle is that it's not about that. It's about, look, go, go be your best. And if your best isn't what their best is, who cares? You're not competing against other skiers. If there's anybody you're competing with, it's the mountain. And I wouldn't recommend competing with the mountain either. The mountain's a bad motherfucker. And it's been there a lot longer and will be there longer than us. The quote that I used this morning on the board is, skiing is like a dance. And the mountain always leads. So, just a nice little reminder. All right, let's get into the top news stories for today. This is hot off the press. Breaking news. The University of Arizona has hired Brent Brennan, the San Jose State football coach, to lead the Wildcats after Jed Fish bolts for Washington. 
Arizona has hired San Jose State's Brent Brennan to serve as head football coach, according to 247 Sports. Brennan steps into a role to replace Jed Fish, who left to take over at Washington after Kalen DeBoer departed for Alabama following Nick Saban's retirement. Brennan's deal with Arizona is for five years. Brennan, 50, was hired as the San Jose State coach in 2017 following a stint as a wide receivers coach at Oregon State. He spent one season in Arizona as a graduate assistant in 2000 and has also had stops in Hawaii and Washington before taking the wide receivers coaching role at Cal Poly in 2001. Brennan has guided San Jose State to a 34-48 and overall record during his time leading the program. The Spartans are coming off a 7-6 record in 2023 and concluded the season with a loss to Coastal Carolina in the Hawaiian Bowl. Brennan is the first coach in San Jose State history to lead the program to three bowl games. During the shortened COVID season in 2020, San Jose State enjoyed one of its best seasons of the program history as the Spartans finished 7-1 and won their first conference title since winning a share of the Big West Conference title in 1990. The Wildcats are in the midst of uncertainty. Head into their inaugural season as a member of the Big 12. Fish is expected to bring much of his coaching staff along with him to Washington, while Arizona players have 30 days to enter the transfer portal. Running back Jonah Coleman, who rushed for 871 yards this past season, has already entered. Arizona was expected to return 18 starters from both sides of the ball following a 10-3 and season prior to Fish taking the job at Washington. Okay, so what the fuck's gonna happen now? I mean, this is crazy because they said that I guess there was gonna be major fallout from the entire Nick Saban retiring. Well, Kalen DeBoer goes to Alabama then opens that opens up the Washington job. Washington goes against Jed Fish. Brent Brennan goes to Arizona. Look, I can tell you this. Brent Brennan is a really, really good football coach. He has figured out a way to motivate his players and get the absolute most out of them. Now, from a scheme perspective, I couldn't tell you. I don't know enough about the college football game. I will tell you that sitting with a couple of badasses the other day, NFL dudes, and we were talking about coaches. We had a couple guys that played for Pete Carroll. And I'm like, how is he as a coach? And they go, the best, the absolute best. And they mentioned this. They said, from a scheme perspective, probably not. But he's an energy guy. He hires high-energy coaches. And he is the best coach we've ever played for. Like hearing that, that fucking matters, man. It really does. And so when you look at Brent Brennan, in a lot of ways, he's very much like Pete Carroll. He's 50 years old, signed a five-year deal with Arizona. I'd be shocked within the next five years if he doesn't get that team damn near a national championship. He It wasn't going to happen at San Jose State. But if he hires the right scheme coaches... And he's able to go out there and just motivate the way he does. Remember this too. You have all these guys that are entering the transfer portal 
and whether they go to University of Washington or wherever else, if you're a University of Arizona Wildcat football player, man, you know what I loved about UCLA? Fucking UCLA. I loved going to school there. I loved being there. I really enjoyed it. So the thought and idea of having to change schools every year because these coaches are changing, that's a lot, man. I'm not sure I'd want to go. And so if you have a coach like Brent Brennan coming in, who you know is the ultimate players coach, and you're a dude and you're going to be starting, you're going to be playing, I'm not fucking going anywhere. There's zero chance. I'm staying right there in Tucson. So we'll see how many of those guys end up leaving. Okay, the hot stove update for today before we get into the uh, NFL and the wild wild card weekend with a bunch of shit games. Uh, the Blue Jays front are front runners in pursuit of a Cuban pitcher. The Yankees Giants bolster their rotations. There's an article in the Athletic from let's see Levi Weaver and Ken Rosenthal. Hope you're all finding ways to stay warm. Maybe some hot stove updates will help. The pitching market is moving. The Jays are in pursuit of a Cuban free agent. The Cubs made another move. And we look at Billy Wagner's Hall of Fame case. I'm Levi Weaver in here with Ken Rosenthal. Welcome to the wide. Okay, I like how he introduces this. As we head in the second half of January, we're seeing starting pitching come off the free agent board. Here are two notable ones from the past few days. Marcus Stroman signed a two-year deal with the Yankees for $37 million. Stroman, formerly of the Blue Jays, Mets, and Cubs, turns 33 in May. And his numbers last year, 10-9 and with a 3.95 ERA with 7.8 strikeouts and 3.4 walks per nine innings. We're basically in line with his career numbers, which is easy to forget given his extremely strong first half, 2.28 ERA on June 20th. So definite regression in the second half of the season. Signing a starter was a necessity for the Yankees, but as Ken notes here, they still need rotation help. For more, Brandon Cootie talks to Stroman's high school coach on why the pitcher will thrive in the pressure of the run. Yeah, Strowman's holding it up. He's always been the guy that loves the flair and the dramatic and everything. Like, he's all over it. All right, the next big sign. Jordan Hicks is headed to San Francisco. Four years, $44 million. Hicks was a reliever with the Cardinals and Blue Jays. Aside from an eight-game stint as a start in 2022, he wasn't particularly great in that role, but that's apparently how he will be used with the Giants. I love this. I do. I mean, the guy, he's a singular baller that throws 100 miles per hour. He doesn't have a ton of swing and miss, which is interesting. Now, he added the sweeper. I believe I talked about this on Friday's Daily Hustle, or maybe it was Thursday. Who knows? Uh, no, I think it was Friday. Anyhow, when you throw that hard, if you could pound the zone, force them to put the ball in play. Force them to hit your heat. That, the sweeper, you're throwing damn near 100 miles per hour. Two-seam, two-seam, actually. With the sweeper, 
I've always, I've look, relievers have always been known as failed starters. They have. There's no other way to put it. So if you have a reliever who's got great shit and he has the ability to stretch that out or you want to train him to stretch that out, yeah, 1,000% you go for it. All right, on December 29th, ESPN's Enrique Rojas reported that the Blue Jays had taken the lead in the building for Cuban Friesian pitcher, let's see here, Yariel Rodriguez. Over the past two and a half weeks, I have consistently heard the same. The Jays are optimistic. They will land Rodriguez, according to a source briefed on their pursuits, but hurdles evidently remain in his immigration, preventing the Jays from completing the deal. Rodriguez, who turns 27, March 10th, pitched mainly as a starter in Cuba from 2015 and 2019. He joined a Japanese club, the Chunichi Dragons, in 2020 and produced a monster season as a reliever in 2022 after starting in for the Cubs or excuse me, for Cuba last spring in the World Baseball Classic. He sat out the season rather than report back to the Dragons. Major League Baseball recognized him as a free agent in November after the Dragons released him. So we'll see if he ends up landing with the Blue Jays. I mean, the poor Blue Jays. They got to get something, don't they? Cubs land Bush from Dodgers. Yeah, here's a trade that went down. Shortly after we sent our last edition outline how the Cubs finally made a move by signing Shota Imanaga. That's the Japanese left-hander, I believe. They made another big move, pulling off a trade to acquire top prospect Michael Bush from the L.A. Dodgers. The full trade, Bush and reliever Yensi Elmonte to the Cubs with 20-year-old left-hand pitcher Jackson Ferris, an 18-year-old outfielder, Zaheer Hope, headed to the Dodgers. So why would the Dodgers trade away a promising bat? Well, it's all explained here, but the short version is that Dodgers needed space on their 40-man roster. And Bush was, as we alluded to, a bit blocked, especially with Mookie Betts moving from right field to second base. All right. Last thing here, they have is Billy Wagner in his Hall of Fame case. So this is coming up in a very short period of time. Look, I mean, there's a lot of guys that I think are deserving. I would like to see the Hall of Fame open their doors more to celebrate the players. I mean, really, it's... You know, then, you know, the argument on the other side, well, it's not the Hall of Very Good. Look, Billy Wagner was fucking dominant for years. Years. And you look at all the numbers, he 1,000% should be a Hall of Famer. One of the best case studies, and we've already talked about this a little bit, was Chase Utley. And I was looking at the projections of where he's going to be on his first year on the ballot. It's like 44%. And it's like... Come on, man. 44%. He's a Hall of Famer. Chase is a Hall of Famer. Hold on a second. I'm opening this door. And then, let's see here. The last. All right. So they're talking about Wagner. It says, so is he a Hall of Famer? It didn't look like it. When he hit the ballot for the first time in 2016, you're in just 10.5% of the vote. 
This is how screwed up this is. Some of that might have been that the 10-player limit meant voters had to clear a backlog of other players first. But at the time of this writing, he's sitting at 79% on Ryan Thibodeau's vote tracker with 152 ballots, 42.2% of the expected total accounted for. If he can manage 72% on the remaining ballots, he is in. It says here, quote, I think he should be in. He was a platonic ideal of the modern closer decades before it became the norm. From 1996 to 2010, only one pitcher had a higher K per nine than Wagner. And that would be Brad Lidge. Now, where does Brad Lidge fit in all this? Huh. His 82% strand rate on base runners is better than all but seven guys, none of whom pitched more than 255 innings. He's not a first ballot guy, but I think he's a ninth ballot guy. That's bullshit, man. He's not a first ballot guy, but I think he's a ninth ballot guy. Once again, either you're a Hall of Famer or you are not a Hall of Famer. Dusty Baker, by the way, Back with the Giants as a special assistant. He is returning to the San Francisco Giants for a third stint with the team. This time as a special assistant in the front office, according to multiple reports. An announcement is expected this week. Baker is still beloved in the Bay Area, and this could be his final baseball stop in what almost certainly will be a Hall of Fame career. Back with the Giants, he will serve as a special assistant to President of Baseball Operations, Farhan Zaidi, and... CEO Larry Bear. Baker managed the Giants from 93 to 2002 before coming back to work as an advisor to Bear during a break from managing in 2018 and 2019. The 74-year-old Baker retired from the Astros following the 2023 season as 26 year as a major league manager. Holy shit. 26 years. He said then that he still has more to offer to a team and then hoped to take on an advisory role. Baker finally won a long-awaited World Series title as a manager with Houston in 2022. He owns a 2,183 wins, 1,862 career managerial record with the Giants, Cubs, Reds, Nationals, and Astros. What a, I mean, this is a slam dunk Hall of Famer, right? I, I'd have been looked at his numbers, whatever, as a player. I mean, as a manager, it's just, not even um, not even question. He left the Giants on difficult terms following their World Series loss to the Angels in 2002 and took over as skipper of the Cubs. Still, this new job seems to be a natural fit. Baker repaired his relationships in San Francisco over time. The Giants offered him flexibility to work, uh, or no, to watch Son, Dar- Son Darren's college games at the University of California, Berkeley. What? No, Darren's out of there, but he's playing pro ball now. He was at Berkeley when I was there a few years back calling those games. Uh, owns a home in Granite Bay outside of Sacramento where he tends to his garden and grows grapes for his own wine. Well, fucking, of course he does. He's Dusty Baker. That's what Dusty Baker does.
Okay. Let's hammer these uh, the wild card weekend. I'm in a shit show, six games. None of them great. Horrific weekend of betting for the DGs. It's our gambling group. Seriously, not a joke. The DGs, the degenerate gamblers. So uh, we were we were off on everything. And I, I just think, look, we had way too high expectations of the Cowboys. Way too high expectations of the Eagles. If those guys didn't show their true colors down the stretch, we thought they were going to hit the playoffs and miraculously turn things around. Fucking shame on us. Shame on us. Should have never, ever, 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 ever put our faith into the Cowboys or the Eagles. Came on here when the Eagles were 10-1. and one. You go back and find the clips. And basically made a case as to how and why the Eagles were the worst 10-1 and one football team in the history of the NFL. The 49ers then proceeded to go in there and kick the living shit out of them. And they never recovered. The problem was that not only did we know that they were one of the worst 10 and one teams ever assembled, but after they got beat down by the Niners, the Eagles do it. All the metric said that team at that point should have been like six and five. I'm not kidding. Yet they found ways to win games and give. Nick Sirianni credit, Jalen Hurts credit. There's an art to winning a football game. And they had perfected that art. And they were winning a bunch of football games that, quite frankly, they just shouldn't have been winning. Well, sure enough, it all caught up. All right, here's the 32 takeaways. This is from Nate Davis of USA Today. Try to rip through these as fast as possible. If the NFL script, this is number one, is going to serve up five pretty terrible games and thank you to the Detroit Lions and Los Angeles Rams for averting the sweep. That's right. That was the one good game. It's going to be a compulsory to retire the, quote, super wild card weekend despite the league's affinity for it. Uh, 1A here. The average margin of victory in this six-pack of games, and this includes the one-point victory, from the Lions over the Rams, 17.3. Blah. 1B. All the home teams won except the Dallas Cowboys, who hadn't lost in their building all season. This was what I was counting on. And the Cowboys showed flashes of brilliance. But to go out there and get your fucking teeth kicked in the way they did, it's an embarrassment. There's no other way to put it. It really was. So does that mean heads roll? I don't know. Look, I, I think Jerry Jones is typically a pretty loyal guy and he believes in the squad. Changes need to be made, though. Because even if they had won that game, they weren't getting past San Francisco. It, it, it wasn't happening. Now, the Packers, they didn't get past San Francisco either. But this, it's a good football team. I think they're a better football team than we all believe. All right, number two, Monday night's death source from Philadelphia Eagles in their 32-9 to loss to Tampa Bay Buccaneers might have been the exclamation point we really didn't want. Number three, and what a terrible way for the Eagles 
center Jason Kelsey to end his career. If the six-time All-Pro opts for retirement after suffering six defeats in his final seven appearances. I agree with that, man. I mean, if you're Jason Kelsey, aren't you thinking, damn, eh, one more? That is not a great way to go out. But look, did I want to go out like I did in Seattle? No, not at all. I mean, this, geez, it's, you don't always write your script. Sometimes you live it and then you move the fuck on. So Jason Kelsey, happy retirement. All right. But onward, it says, after a weather delay and a massive upset, the divisional round matchups were finally set on Monday. And while the top seed of San Francisco 49ers and Baltimore Ravens will open in the neighborhood of double-digit favorites over the Green Bay Packers and the Houston Texans, respectively, Sunday's games, the Bucks at the Lions and Kansas City Chiefs at the Buffalo Bills project to be enticing pairings yeah those ought to be really good uh, the bucks at the lions i like the lions in that one i don't know what the line is i did see the early line of the bills game was three um i got to imagine the lions and bucks has got to be a similar number maybe lions a little bit more maybe four and a half five there are only a f- five active quarterbacks in the league who have started and won a super bowl the Cleveland Browns, Joe Faco was one, but he was on the wrong end of a 45 to 14 blowout. I, that I didn't see coming either. I mean, you knew that Houston was going to keep that game tight. The Browns were favored on the road, but for the Browns defense to give up the ass like that, I just never thought it was possible. That defensive unit has been great all season, but CJ Stroud absolutely dismantled them. Number six, Flacco did go down throwing three touchdown passes. One for his team and two for the Texans. 6A, it was the Browns' worst playoff loss since 1970 AFL-NFL merger. I mean, you're waiting for the Browns and the Lions, the other team that, I mean, these are storied franchises that haven't done shit. I mean, both teams have never won a Super Bowl. So, I don't think this year's necessarily going to be their year, but to make a run deep into the postseason would be great for both franchises and fan bases, but the Browns just did not pull it off. All right. Seven, eight says, however, Sunday's visit to Orchard park to see the bills will be Mahomes' first playoff roadie as Casey aims to eliminate Buffalo for the third time in four years. Yeah. Fuck off. Uh, he, he's great at home. And I, I don't doubt Mahomes. He's one of the best athletes and best quarterbacks, quite frankly, we've ever seen. So if he goes into Orchard Park and takes down Josh Allen and the Bills, good on him. Sometimes you just got to tip your cap. Number eight, of the seven other remaining slingers, Philly's Jalen Hurts also outside Monday night. Only the Lions' Jared Goff has Super Bowl Sunday experience. The Bills' Josh Allen and 49ers' Brock Purdy have both reached the conference title round, though, very briefly in the latter's case. That's when Purdy got knocked out last year in Philadelphia. Number nine, 
Bucks QB Baker Mayfield now has as many postseason wins as the Cowboys. Dak Prescott. Two. Number 10. Nice little piece of history for Goff. The first quarterback to win a playoff game against a team for whom he previously appeared in the postseason. He turned the trick three years after famously being traded for Stafford. I don't think enough was made of that. And for whatever reason, they kept going to Stafford and asking Stafford about going back to Detroit. And Stafford was very businesslike and whatever. Well, what about Goff? Here was a guy that the Rams traded away. He let him do a Super Bowl. They then traded him away. Stafford goes in there. And he went to fucking Super Bowl. Are you kidding me? For Goff, that was the ultimate redemption. If that's not a slap in the face, like, I don't know what is the fact that we just don't think you're capable of getting the job done. Well, that was huge, huge redemption for Goff to be able to go toe-to-toe with Matthew Stafford and then come out on top. If you weren't rooting for Goff, man, either obviously you're just a sicko Rams fan or you don't have a heart because think about what it must have been like to have been Jared Goff at home. Here was a team that he had led, that he had already taken to the Super Bowl. He was there. I mean, that was his girl. That was his baby. And then in comes like the new Rico Suave dude. I, it's like you did all the fucking work to help orchestrate that team to get to where it was. And then Stafford came in the last minute to close the deal. I mean, it's the analogies could go on and on and on and on. But man. Of all the foreplay was done by Goff. And then here comes Stafford to hammer it home. Yeah, I don't know. I, did, I, I didn't love how that felt even at the time. And, you know, now it's, I know I'm a Goff fan. Goff's a Bay Area guy. His dad played in minor league baseball and Cal guy too. So a huge, huge, huge win for Goff. All right, number 11 here. Miami Dolphins wide receiver Tyreek Hill got so much, got no no such revenge against the Chiefs. Though, he did snag a 53-yard touchdown in his first game at Arrowhead since the 2022 trade. Yeah, that's a, that's a nice little consolation. Hill is now 0-2 against his former team, both defeats coming in the last two months. Number 12, performance of the weekend, perhaps Chiefs kicker Harrison Bucker who converted all four of his field goal tries and both extra points amid sub-zero temperatures in Kansas City. Uh, 26-7 was the total there with that win. And the quote here from Andy Reid was that it was like kicking a block of ice. (laughs) You imagine going barefoot in that shit? Rich Carlos, great Denver Broncos legend. Yeah, I remember him going out barefoot in the snow to kick a game winner for the Broncos back in the 80s. Number 13, and as embarrassing as Dallas's 48-32 defeat to Green Bay was, 
it only marked the first win for a seven-seeded playoff team since the field expanded to 14 in 2020. It's kind of shocking. It breaks an 0-6 streak. 13B says including their Super Bowl 45 win over the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Packers are now 6-0 at AT&T Stadium, where Dallas has won 16 in a row, had won 16 in a row before Sunday. That's, that's crazy. I mean, that's two crazy stats. The 16 in a row, the fact they won 16 in a row. And the biggest game of the year against a meh team, at least a perceived meh team in the Green Bay Packers. They've been playing better. But you're the Dallas Cowboys. You got to win that fucking game. All right, 15. Absent from the NFC Championship game since the 1995 playoffs. Actually, no, no, hold on. I skipped 14. The 48 points the Cowboys surrendered were 10 more than their previous playoff wars. 15 is absent from the NFC Championship game since 1995. English year. 1995 playoffs. Dallas becomes the first team to win at least 12 games in three consecutive regular seasons to not advance that far at least once during such a stretch of relative success. 15A. Now, one and three in the postseason with the Cowboys. Rampant speculation as to whether Mike McCarthy will coach a fifth playoff game for America's team, given all the quality replacement options available to owner Jerry Jones. Eagles coach Nick Sirianni could be subject to similar scrutiny despite reaching the playoffs in all three of his seasons and not a year removed from coming up just short of Super Bowl 57. But no question, Philadelphia grossly underachieved given its talent. I don't know. Did they? I think they grossly overachieved. 16A, with the Eagles and Cowboys both vanquished, the NFC East will be the only division without representation during the upcoming divisional round. <laughs> Look, the NFC East at this wasn't, they weren't who we thought they were. They weren't. 17, who had the Rams kicker Brett Mayer, whose scattershot leg cost him his job with Dallas last year, lasting longer in the postseason than the Cowboys, if only a few more hours. 18, as if Rams wide receiver Puka Nakua hadn't already had the greatest rookie season ever by a pass catcher, his 105 catches and 1,486 yards, both freshman records, he added to them with a rookie record 181 yards in defeat at Detroit. Picked up Puka Nakua based on a recommendation from Dr. PPR, a.k.a. Henry Markin. And I quite honestly, one of the best pickups in the history of fantasy football. Uh, Dr. PPR. I applaud you, Hank. 19, Texans quarterback C.J. Stroud became the fourth first-round rookie in the common draft year to win a playoff game joining Joe Flacco, Ben Roethlisberger, and, ready for this, Mark Sanchez. 19A, Stroud, the number two overall selection in last April's draft, also became the earliest quarterback picked to win in postseason as a rookie. Huh. 19B, just to put a bow on it, the trail he's blazing at 22 years old, 102 days. At the same time, Houston's, hold on, 
at 22 years and 102 days old at the time of Houston's win on Saturday. Stroud was 90 days younger than Michael Vick when he notched his first postseason triumph 21 years ago. The longstanding record for greenest QB1 with a playoff victory. Vick, the number one pick in the 2001 draft, achieved it in his second NFL campaign. Now, can Stroud do something? He's number 20. Even more remarkable, Houston, one of four NFL franchises to never reach the Super Bowl, is the only one that's never appeared in a conference championship game, though the old Oilers did. Next weekend's game in Baltimore will be the 12th playoff appearance in Texas's history and ninth on a Saturday. 22 here, that was 21. Stroud stats in his victorious postseason debut, 272 yards, three touchdowns, and a 157 passer rating, 22-8. I mean, this guy's got 32 fucking things, and he's going like half these numbers have A's and B's. Packers QB Jordan Love. His stats in his victorious postseason debut, 274 yards, three TDs, and a 157 passer rating as well. The Lions have never played on Super Sunday. They and the Browns are the only clubs since the Super Bowl's inception following the 1966 season to never reach it throughout the entire duration. But on Sunday night, the Lions ended the league's longest playoff drought at 32 years by squeezing past the Rams. Now head coach Dan Campbell and company are just one win from qualifying for what would only be Detroit's second appearance in the NFC title round. So the Browns, I mentioned it. I know they would never won a Super Bowl, but the Browns and the Lions have never even reached a Super Bowl. The Lions also ended a nine-game postseason losing streak, the longest in NFL history. Don't look now, but the Steelers have dropped five playoff games in a row. That's 24A. Here's 24B, Detroit. Has two postseason wins over the past 66 years. Truly amazing. 25, the Lions win means the Dolphins now own the longest drought. There you go, Giuseppe Pepe Manuele. Since their most recent playoff win, which occurred more than 23 years ago. Jeez. The Dolphins? Really? I thought they had a chance in Kansas City. Shame on me. Oddsmakers thought they had a chance to on the line was like four and a half, five. 26 run the ball. The Eagles 42 rushing yards in Monday's defeat at Tampa represented the team's lowest total of the 2023 season. 27 Monday was the fourth time the Buffalo Bills and Pittsburgh Steelers met in the playoffs. A winner in each of three previous matchups eventually advanced to the Super Bowl. Ha! How about that? Now it was the Steelers. Even though they have yet to oppose each other in the AFC Championship game. So congratulations, Bills. That could be worth laying some action on. The Steelers are now 1-11 without outside linebacker TJ Watt. Since he entered the league in 2017, he missed Monday's loss with a knee injury, 29 Monday was Mike Tomlin's first game as the NFL's longest tenured head coach. But amid an NBC report that will weigh his options, he wanted nothing to do with questions regarding his future. The man who's coached the Steelers since 2007 is under contract for one more year following 
Pittsburgh's loss. I love the fact, and there's franchises that do this. The Pittsburgh Steelers are obviously one. You had Chuck Noll, you had Bill Cowher, and you've had Mike Tomlin. And I don't think I'm missing anybody. There's something to be said for the longevity of the guy at the helm. I think it is a great representation of ownership and commitment and just awesome. All right. Speaking of tenure, Bill Belichick and the Atlanta Falcons made a little news on Monday night. 30. If Tomlin is not in the Steel City next season, Baltimore's John Harbaugh would become the dean of NFL head coaches. 31. While his brother Jim might well be among the newbies once again. 32. This is the final one here. Oh, sorry for being a little long-winded. It's a good article, though. There is still one Kelsey left in this postseason, Chiefs tight end Travis. So, the biggest questions moving forward, will anyone in Bill's Mafia surrender their suite to Taylor Swift next weekend? And what might she be wearing? You won't even have to subscribe to Peacock to find out. I don't think there's any chance. Now, I know Bill's Mafia, and this is what they will do because they took Giuseppe Pepe Manwillian. Mr. Busey and the Busey brothers have a suite in Buffalo. Boys, we got to get Taylor in the suite. You get Taylor in the suite, I'm canceling my trip to Mexico. I'm going on a pickleball vacation next weekend. But Joe Sr., Joe Jr., Johnny, you guys get Taylor in the suite. I'm all in. I'm flying to Buffalo. Those suites are hard to get. A lot of them just not even it's not even an option. I got to imagine, though, and this is where I think she'll get it. Kansas City ownership will have a suite. So even if it's just Taylor and a friend or Taylor and the Kelsey family, they can bring in whoever the fuck they want. And I've also got to believe that that's pretty much where she's been going with all. Did you see her entrances and her exits and under the tunnel? But it's just so great for Kansas City in general to have her around and being a part of it. And for those who say it's a distraction, just, just shut up. Look. Travis is a professional. Obviously, Taylor Swift is beyond a professional. It's good for the sport. And you could talk about the sideshow and everything else. I I don't want to hear it. I I just don't. When you have somebody that is an international superstar, one of the biggest superstars of our generation, probably the biggest. If you consider Michael Jackson the generation before, Elvis Presley before that, uh, she, she's she's that status. When you have someone that big getting behind your product, if you're Roger Goodell, if you're the owners of the Chiefs, if you're anybody involved within football, you want to support this every way possible. And so on that note, I don't even have the suite, but I have friends that have a suite in Buffalo. So Taylor... On behalf of the Buseys, the suite's yours. But we're going to be there. We will definitely share. All right. Going on way too long this morning. Back at 6 p.m. tonight, 
with Will the Thrill Clark. That's 6 p.m. Pacific time. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify, feeling generous, want to hit the five-star review. I don't know if this is a five-star show. I think it's a five-star podcast. But uh, if you write the review, if you hit the five stars, that'd be fucking awesome. And then come join us tonight. RJ, have a fantastic day, buddy. Minus four out there in Boise. Good shit, man. Uh, and lastly, I do not leave you guys without a little James Allen. We are a life optimization podcast, first and foremost. Effect on thoughts and circumstance. A man's mind may be likened to a garden, which may be intelligently cultivated or allowed to run wild, but rather cultivated or neglected, it must and will bring forth. If no useful seeds are put into it, then an abundance of useless weed seeds will fall therein and will continue to produce their kind. Bottom line, feed the mind and plant the great seeds today. That's it. See ya!